Good morning, friends, and welcome to Awaken. We are so glad that you are with us and you've decided to join us from wherever it is you are. May the spirit of the risen Christ be your portion today. That is my hope and my prayer. It has been so fun hearing the stories of how and where some of you have decided to have church. Uh, Some of you have shared about just sitting in your own room or gathering with your family at your homes um, with your children, many of you, which has been really cool. Some of you have done this walking in the woods or down by the river. One person told me last week about they decided to go for a drive to drop off something uh, at someone's house. They experienced a, a lot of love and care in this last year, and so they decided to do that. And they said it was just, it was just so beautiful that they were able to focus in a way that they hadn't been before because they were driving, so their body was occupied and their mind was like totally zeroed in. And then the added benefit of like being a blessing to somebody uh, when they were finished and they just said like, we're gonna do that again. We really love that. So it was just so beautiful. Um, And I don't know about you, but as hard as this is and has been and will be for however long, um, there are gifts along the way. And there are things that maybe I didn't see coming or know would be a gift. Uh, for us at the Witham House, for example, I feel like we've been given back this beautiful gift of Sabbath. Uh, I've shared about this in the past, but for a pretty good season of our, our life, um, raising our kids, we had this Friday night tradition of gathering around the table for Shabbat and lighting candles and being together. And some of our best memories with our kids as a family are around that table. And truth be told, like as kids get older and schedules get more complex and kids are going this way and that, it has become nearly impossible for those moments um, to happen. And honestly, I feel like one of the gifts that we've been given is Sabbath again as a family. So maybe as we begin this morning, I wonder if there are any gifts that have come to you that you can name, like that you could stop and identify, any manna or quail or water that has come to you in the desert, so to speak. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a guy named Rob Bell. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he was a pastor in Michigan. And when he was still a pastor in Michigan, he started this church and came up with this idea of doing these videos. They were called Numa videos, and uh, which is Greek for spirit, wind, or breath. Spelled differently, but the same idea. And the first Numa that ever came out was one of my favorites. It was entitled Rain. And he tells the story about this day uh, when his son was very young. I think it was his firstborn. And very young. And uh, he put him in the backpack uh, and they went for a walk out in the woods. And it was just this beautiful sort of bonding experience between a father and a son. And as they walked and walked and walked and made their way almost out to the furthest point, if I remember the story correctly, uh, then a a storm kind of suddenly blew in. And uh, before he could turn around and get back to the car, it started raining. And then it just started pouring like buckets. And you can imagine uh, an infant and how they might respond in that moment. And his son was... Um, terrified. And as the rain poured down, he tells the story of taking his son out of his backpack and holding him close to his chest and whispering in his ear, we're going to make it. Dad knows the way home. (laughs) Even as I'm remembering the story now, I'm uh, getting a little emotional, but uh, if I could... I would pull you all into my chest. Even the staff and the leadership here at Awaken and I would say to you, we're gonna make it. You know what to do. You have been practicing and becoming the kind of people who know what to do in moments like this. You've been working on all the things that you need to go through this valley. And you have all the tools necessary in each other and in yourselves to keep your head up, to receive food and water as gifts from the divine when they come and to be food and water to each other. And so on this last, This last Sunday in Lent, praise the risen Christ. Uh, On Palm Sunday, 
when we celebrate the triumphal entrance of Jesus into the city, I want to say to you, we're going to make it. If you're having a hard time believing that, as I do at times, um, be reminded today that we're going to make it. This song uh, that I want you to hear is one that we as a family just have on call uh, to play whenever we need it. And I have permission from the author to share it with you this morning. So um, it's entitled, It's All Right. things that we miss the most about not gathering is hearing each other sing. And as Mel and Jenna and I and others talked about planning um, these podcasts, we just thought, you know what, we're going we're gonna to try. We're going to roll the dice here. And so wherever you are, um, if you're in a place where you can sing, we want to invite you to sing, um, to sing along. And together, let's join our voices wherever we are as Mel leads us in two familiar hymns and then uh, the song of blessing. So let's sing together if we can.
So before we jump into the final sermon in this Metamorphosis series, I wanna just say a couple things by way of announcement. Uh, first, happy hour last week was a blast. We had maybe 20 people on Zoom, a happy hour hosted by yours truly. And uh, we're gonna do it again. So next week on Monday, 4 p.m., there's a link in the downloadable Awaken resource. It'll be on Instagram, it'll be on Facebook. Sorry to those of you who had trouble getting in. That was totally my fault. Didn't check one of the boxes I was supposed to. So should be easy to get in on that this week. If you're interested, uh, you can join us. The other thing is if you have some extra time on your hands, Jenna is looking for people to help make cards. Uh, you know, those like cards, they, they show up in the mail. People write notes on them. Uh, as uh, a way of encouragement. And so Jen is looking for people to help make cards for people at Awaken and in our community who might need a bit of encouragement. So you can contact her at jenna at awakenwest7th.com. Also just wanna say, kids, I know you're out there. I'm excited that many of you are listening with your parents and family. So hello to you. I see you, I hear you. I'm glad you're with us. Week six, the final week of Metamorphosis, the series that we have been in on the process of transformation within the human and within the spiritual life. And I'll say it, I mentioned it last week, but I'll say it again. This series has been so fitting and so appropriate for us as a community and for me as well. I don't, I don't know if you've ever like bought a car before, but uh, you, you, know, you buy a car, you think about buying a car, and then you see that car everywhere you look when you're out on the road. Um, ironically, I've heard multiple people talking about metamorphosis and butterflies in the past six weeks. None other than even the, the, the famed Glennon Doyle last week on her little Instagram weekly. I don't typically uh, watch those, but someone sent it to me, just a disclaimer there. Um, but she mentioned how COVID-19 and this whole deal is bringing up all kinds of grief in people, these things that we feel like we're losing and that we've lost, and how grief is the cocoon from which we emerge transformed. It's like she's stealing our stuff, crying out loud. So if she's talking about it, we gotta be onto something. We're up to something right. But I'm excited about this morning because um, this passage is one of my top 10 favorite uh, stories in all of the Bible. I'm telling you, it is so beautiful and tender and 
um, as I've been writing and, and reading and getting ready for this morning, uh, I have found myself just in tears, like at my computer, Laura will look over and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine, I'm gonna be okay. Um, but it is just so tender. So there's a really good chance I'm gonna cry again while sharing it with you. So get your communion supplies for later, grab some Kleenex while you're at it, and Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we read from the end of Deuteronomy. When Moses, or then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the whole region of the Valley of, the Jer- of Jericho, the City of Palms as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. In the King James, it says, uh, his eyes were unabated and his vigor, no, his eyes were not weakened and his vigor unabated. That'd be a great way to die. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather and we listen Uh, to your word and your spirit. It's my hope and prayer that you would guide and shape and mold and transform the members of this community to be the people that you have called us to be in the world. Um, So do that work, I pray, in the strong name of Christ. Amen. So we have been following the journey of the caterpillar who becomes a butterfly. At the same time, we've been following the journey of Moses and the Israelites in the story of the Exodus. So what is the monarch butterfly up to as an adult? Like, is there anything we can learn from this little guy? Uh, One source says this, the primary job of the adult stage is to reproduce the mate or to mate and lay eggs that will become the next generation. Monarchs don't mate until they're eight days old which we can make some jokes about circumcision here, but I'm not going to. Uh, when they mate, they remain together for, from one afternoon until early the next morning, up to 16 hours. Again, holding back, filtering all kinds of things right now. Uh, females uh, begin laying eggs immediately after their first mating, and both sexes can mate several times during their lives. Now, as adults... Uh, The females lay their eggs. They secrete a small amount of glue to attach the eggs directly on the underside of the plant. Like, again, someone has been thinking about this. It's brilliant. And female monarch butterflies lay three to 500 eggs over a two to five week period of egg laying with the world record of one monarch in captivity of 1,179 eggs in like three to five weeks. That's insane. Um, Here's where it gets really wild. Each year, the final generation of monarchs Uh, that emerge in late summer and early fall are called the super species of monarchs because they can live up to nine months, whereas the other ones live, I don't know if it's like two months or something like that total. But this late generation in in late summer and fall, these kind of super species of the monarch, they can live up to nine months and they have an additional job. And that job is to migrate to the overwintering grounds, sometimes up to 3,000 miles away Little butterflies, 3,000 miles, insane, depending on whether or not they're east or west of the Rocky Mountains. For our monarchs, from our neck of the woods, the overwintering ground is high up on just a few mountains in central Mexico. And they migrate to these places. Once there, they huddle by the millions. If you, like National Geographic that, it is so incredible. By the millions on these branches of the Oyamel fir trees. These trees, called the sacred firs by the native people for good reason, create this sort of microclimate that protect the insects that they 
this sort of canopy and ecosystem that, um, so the temperatures don't get too high or too low. And here, they spend the winter clustered in trees until the temperature and conditions allow them to return to their breeding grounds going north. Now, crazy, it takes sometimes four to five generations of monarchs, four to five life cycles of a monarch to get from Mexico back to where it began its journey. So going north, it takes sometimes four to five generations before they come back, the super monarch makes the journey home to the same tree. What? You gotta be kidding me. The job of the mature adult butterfly is to ensure the next generation of butterflies have life. Like we could just stop right there. Let that be the end of the series. But we haven't even gotten to Moses yet in Deuteronomy. So crazy monarchs. Let's do Moses. Here we go. Um, remember where we are in this story, right? Moses, born in Egypt, seen as tove, good by his mother, sister, the Pharaoh's daughter, placed in a teva, in an ark, uh, vulnerable, the recipient of grace and kindness, grows up, uh, leaves Egypt in a rush, finds this woman named Zipporah, marries her, works for his father-in-law for 40 years as a shepherd before meeting Yahweh at a burning bush and getting his mission. He's given this mission to go and get the people out of Egypt. So he and Aaron, they do it. They march into Egypt. They demand to let the people go. They lead them through the plagues and out of Egypt and then encamp at Pi-Hahiroth, the mouth of freedom, between Migdal and Baal-Zephon and the impassable sea. After crossing the sea with water on their right and left, the Israelites take their first steps into the wilderness. They're met by Yahweh with water, bread, and meat, sustenance, and then Sabbath, everything they need, and more. After spending 40 years in the cocoon of the wilderness, being formed and shaped, they find themselves right back where they were before, at Kadesh, where the spies were sent into the promised land the first time. And even in the emergence of God's people from the wilderness, as they enter the promised land, there's this struggle as something new is being born in the people. And this is where we left off last week. Now, as we close and we look at the mature adult on the other side of transformation, I want to kind of zero back in on Moses. Here he is at the end of his life, right as the people are about to enter the land. The very goal, the culmination, the pinnacle of the promise and the story that begins in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham so many years ago. And what we see in Moses is the mature, learned, non-anxious presence of an adult who has been changed and shaped and transformed by the hand of the divine through the chrysalis and emerges transformed. And what we find is surrender, vision, and presence. So surrender. Maturity recognizes their limited point of view and surrenders to the divine. Listen to verses four and five again. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. Even in the apparently disappointing news of not entering the land, Moses is noted as the faithful servant of the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what happens in this moment. This is sort of the editorial summation of the writer of Deuteronomy. But what we don't see here or when Moses is told for the first time that he won't enter the land is arguing, fighting, bitterness, anger, opposition, you see, maturity doesn't allow bitterness and disappointment to settle in and take root and overtake the relationship because it knows a better way to live. Now, gang, I'm reading between the lines here in the story. Fine, we come from a long line, a long tradition of reading between the lines of the story. Moses seems to recognize the limitation of his viewpoint. That he, he may not, in fact, be able to see all that there is to see. And there appears to be a surrendering and a letting go of any attempt to appeal or control the outcome and the finality of this situation. Friends, I'm telling you, surrender is always a part of wisdom and maturity. Even AA knows it in their serenity prayer. God, grant me the wisdom to change the things I can, to surrender the things I can't, and the wisdom to know, know the difference, or something to that effect. At least from the storyteller's perspective, Moses doesn't fight with God on this decision. And we who read the story thousands of years, of year, years later, we can argue about it and dissect it and ask if it was fair. Be that as it may, there is always surrender present in the lives that are lived well. 
whether they be connected to the Christian story and tradition or not, there's always surrender. And this is part of the profound nature of the Easter passion. Jesus himself surrenders to the divine and then invites us to go and do likewise. So question for you this morning, is there anything you need to surrender to? Is there anything that you need to surrender? Is there anything that you've been opposing or standing in the way of and deep down, you know, it's time. You know that you know that you know. It's time to let it go, to surrender it to the divine. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a, a hurt. Maybe it's some part of you. I've shared this before about my trip to Israel, but I feel like I, I know this moment very well. I remember being in Israel and being confronted with my inability to surrender to the, to the fatherly love of God, to imagine and receive God's love as a father, which was connected to my whole story and, and a whole bunch of other things. But I remember that moment the transformed Micah who had come out of the chrysalis of transformation knew that I knew that I knew that, some, that this, this bitterness, this anger, this opposition to receiving that, that I had to let go of it. I had to surrender and stop opposing. So there is surrender on this side of spiritual transformation. And I would also say that there's a new kind of vision. The mature adult can see the future in a different way. Now, here's what's fascinating about this passage. It's debated among scholars if Moses can actually see all the things that are mentioned in this passage, right? The whole, the whole first part of the passage is all the things that Moses can see as God brings him up onto this, mount, onto this hill. And people debate, like many would argue that the mountainous region in Jerusalem or upon which Jerusalem sits that runs north and south up and down the middle of Israel would have blocked Moses from actually seeing much of what is mentioned. Isn't that even a better story? That Moses, at the end of his life, on this side of the wilderness and the struggle, high up on a different plane, not like literally or physically, but like on a different plane, can see the land through the eyes of faith, even if he can't physically see the land from where he was standing. And at this point, does he even need to physically enter and step foot on the land that God has promised and brought him up there to see you when the transformed Moses can see as God sees. Like is Moses the opposite of Thomas in this moment? Not to cast shade or judgment on, on Thomas, like Thomas needed what he needed in that moment. But is Moses beyond the place of needing to touch with his hands and feel with his feet the ground underneath him? He has a vision for the future of the people in the land. Adult monarchs do nothing but lay eggs and traverse miles to ensure the next generation's life. If the immature caterpillar does nothing but eat, which in some ways is self-serving, it, it's, it's part of the journey, right? So don't get me wrong. But the adult on the other side of the transformative process is continuously and wholeheartedly about the future and the next generation and the investment of their life in what is going to emerge in time. So question, what do you see? Is your vision of the future mostly about you and your life? And don't get me wrong, there is a time and a place for that. It's not, that's not inherently bad. But it may, you may be at a point in your life and in your process of transformation when maybe that could shift. Is there a sense of the future and the life that will come after you're gone that you're beginning to see? This is what Moses can see. So there's surrender and vision. And then I would say there's the gift of presence. See, the faithful, mature adult recognizes the greatest gift of all. And this is why I love this passage. This is what gets lost in translation for us as English speakers as well. Verse five says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord has said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, which by the way means house of opening. Beth means house, Peor means opening. He buried him in the valley opposite of the house of opening, 
but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength not gone. His eyes were not weak, nor his vigor unabated. Two things we miss here, or that are not made obvious. As the Lord has said, and he buried him in Moab. First, as the Lord has said, in Hebrew is Al-Pi Adonai. Now, if you're paying attention, you should recognize at least one of those words, maybe two. One of them is a common word for, for God, Adonai, Lord or God. But then P, P-I, it's the same word in Pi-Hahiroth. And what do we know about Pi-Hahiroth, friends? The mouth of freedom. So what the writer has just told us is that after hearing the news of not entering the land, the servant of the Lord Moses dies on the mouth of God. What does it mean to say that you have died with your eyes undimmed and vigor unabated on the mouth of God? And not only that, but the he who carries him into a secret place that no one knows to this day is in fact the hands of, the arms of, the very person of God. What is this moment if it is not one of the most intimate moments in all of scripture? Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord singled out face to face. Moses, as he breathes his last, experiences the divine as closely as a kiss and then is carried away to a secret place to be buried by God. As if God says, no, this one's for me. I'm gonna bury this one myself. Friends, those at the end of their lives, almost to a person, testify to the fact that the greatest gift of the human experience is presence. I mean, think about what people want in their last moments on this earth. And this is appropriate and poignant because so many people are experiencing that right now. Many imagine a bed with all of those who they love gathered around it. They imagine a room full of people who know them and love them. They imagine presence. They imagine not being alone in their last moments. When I think about my last moments, I imagine around my bedside, my brothers and my wife and my family and some of my dearest friends. And I imagine them telling stories remembering all the fun that we had, all the stupid things that we did, all the crazy capers that we pulled off, the glorious and epic failures that ended in just total crashing and burning, but at least we were in the game. But maybe, what I would want most of all is one last moment with my best friend. The woman who knows me more deeply and, and better than anyone. One last escapade, one last caper as I sail off into the sunset, I would want to die on the breath. I would want to die and breathe my last on the lips of the woman who I have loved my whole life. I would long for and imagine the purest and deepest presence that I've ever known. Because presence is what we're made from and what we're made for. And this is what Moses gets. He dies on the mouth of God with a divine kiss. And not only that, but God buries him and nobody knows where. It's as if when it was all said and done, God, the longtime lover of Moses, steals him away, has one last moment of intimacy and secrecy. Moses' last moments alive on this earth are in the embrace of face to face with the God who sustained him. The greatest gift we can ever receive as humans, created by and sustained by the divine, is communion and union with the divine. And this is exactly what Moses gets. 
This is the gift of transformation. I cannot make it and I cannot fake it. I can't afford it, but it is mine. And this is where transformation brings us. Union and presence with God and an increasing gratitude as our only response. You see, some would argue, some would argue that Moses gets screwed in this moment. God cheats him and is cruel to him. He asked him to go and get the people out of Egypt and he did it. God asked him to risk his life and oppose the most powerful empire on the planet. And he does it. He asked him to lead the people, the whining, complaining, short-sighted, selfish people through the desert for 40 years and he does it. And then in the end, because he didn't speak to the rock, but he struck the rock, God doesn't let him into the promised land. And I would suggest that those who see the story this way and read it this way are driven by a different kind of energy. An energy that has not been through the darkness and the grief of the chrysalis and come out on the other side, not only alive, but alive and transformed. When we're transformed by God, we enter another level of surrender and dependence on the sustaining hand of God. We see differently than we saw before we learn that presence and union with God is the greatest gift we can ever receive and give. And this is what Moses gets. My question for you this morning as we close, it's not actually a question, but it's a reminder. Transformation is a gift. You can't make it, you can't fake it, and you certainly can't afford to buy it but it is yours. It is what the divine longs to do in you and in me and in the whole world. So say yes, say yes to it. Surrender to the movement of God this morning, wherever you are. God is saying to you in this moment, right here and right now, Hineni, here I am. So say it back. With as much of you as you know, to as much of God as you understand, here I am. I want to close this series and this morning with a song sung by our friend Sarah, Sarah Groves. I think it's a fitting way to end. So receive this as a gift.
something changed I want to invite you to just take a few moments of silence to reflect on maybe the past six weeks in this journey and what God has been doing in you and through you and for you before we make our way to the table and communion. As we make our way towards the Eucharist, the good gift of God, hear these words. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Friends, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, not because the church invites you or because I invite you, but because the resurrected Christ invites you to come to be known and to be fed here at the table. So would you take the bread and hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. And in the same way, would you take the cup and hear these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink. As we close together this morning, we want to sing one more song, which is the doxology, one of my favorites, um, sung by thousands, millions of faithful followers of Jesus over the years. So let's join our voices together and do that. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Friends, as we begin the journey of Holy Week on this Palm Sunday, be reminded that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lifts up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord's lifting up his countenance to you and giving you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week.
www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter, Awakening Community. See you next time.